This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Hello, I'm James Stu, Senior Director of Content and Communications at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to Faculty Focus. This podcast features interviews with Trine University faculty members about their current research and their insights on issues impacting us all today. My guest today is Jeff McGowan, Assistant Professor in Trine's Kettner School of Business. Jeff is also a CPA and oversees the university's Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program, which we'll be talking about a little bit later. And today we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite topic, taxes. Jeff, thank you for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me and always love the opportunity to talk about tax. So you've, you worked for more than 20 years in tax consulting before coming to Trine. What made you want to get involved in taxes as a career? Well, this is scary. It's actually 30 years, but <laughs> so, uh, well, uh, I always, when I was looking at going into business, wanted to be in a service aspect of business and uh, was intrigued by the service aspect of uh, providing tax returns. And uh, believe it or not, once I started getting involved more and more, I uh, found it fascinating. Been doing it for a long time. So what's the, the fascinating part about taxes? Well, uh, it's a big puzzle, and it's a big puzzle that's architects are Congress. So it's a puzzle that doesn't fit together real well and has very many overlapping pieces. Uh, and it's, boy, use the word fun, uh, it's, it's interesting to try to get the pieces to, to fit together in a, what we tell our clients is we want them to pay the, the legal minimum. And um, from that, what brought you to, to trying to teach students about this puzzle? Well, I've always, always had it in the back of my head that uh, I wanted to, to try teaching uh, students. Uh, I, I guess in my professional life had thought of myself as a, as a teacher uh, to, to staff and uh, people learning about taxes uh, as well as clients and uh, always was intrigued and uh, one of my mentors throughout my life has uh, been uh, Professor Ken Milani and uh, he's a professor and uh, I always had great admiration for him and uh, opportunity arose and I jumped at it. Looking back on now 30 years, um, what are some of the strangest things you've seen people try to claim as tax deductions and maybe even some of the th strangest things that have been allowed as deductions? Well, strangest things uh, tried to deduct versus allowed. Um, I do recall once having a client that uh, they were in kind of a targeted marketing almost a Amway type business of marketing. And uh, they did all sorts of entertainment. And a couple of years uh, when we'd look at their, what they would turn in to, for expenses, uh, there were some very large items. And uh, we asked, well, what, <laughs> what are these items for? We need to, to label them for the tax return. And they said, oh, well, they're, they're jet skis. Um, so they were trying to deduct uh, jet skis and and other items that they would have these big, huge parties, supposedly for their 
marketing crew, and uh, we're trying to deduct some of those. So uh, we had to put a little bit of a halt on it and uh, try to make it a reasonable deduction. We had to shave off some of that. That That is probably out there. I mean, there's all sorts of ones with, uh, you know, people uh, trying to get uh, dog food deducted if they can argue that uh, basically protecting their house is uh, a necessity for their business. So, I mean, deductions are all premised on a couple things. One, is it ordinary? And two, is it necessary? So a lot of times uh, that's the tough part is trying to, to prove both of those. When is it good for somebody to do taxes on their own? And when does someone really need to seek out a professional like you? Okay. Well, and I don't know if it's been in the last 10 years or maybe even more than that, but there's been a huge increase in the TurboTax and the H&R Block tax cut and uh, tax layer. And those are all, they're all good programs. Uh, and certainly for many, many people, that is a great way to go. Uh, I guess usually what uh, we recommend is that if there's a, a life change, uh, if you've got married, uh, if you moved, if you started a side business, uh, a big one too would be if you're going to inherit something. These are all situations that can lead to some complexities uh, that you should likely have somebody at least talk to about. I mean, I, I've had situations in the past where people did it on TurboTax and then just wanted someone to, to look over their shoulder and say, ask some questions. So that's another way of doing it. But I'd say if there's a change of life event, uh, such as the ones that I just mentioned, um, you know, there's adoption issues and uh, any time that you receive what is called a Schedule K-1, which is if people have a small business that they own through a corporation or a limited liability company, at least for your first time, that's a good time to, to touch base with a, a, a tax preparer. And I, I guess I would call out saying a, a CPA or a, what's called an EA, an enrolled agent. What's the difference between those two? Uh, the CPA is kind of a general term for certified public accountant. Uh, so you're certified in areas of audit and other areas. The, the EA is specific uh, to the being able to practice before the IRS. So it's, it's much more of a tax specialization. So you'll see sometimes, especially the people from the IRS may have a credential of EA, and that's enrolled agent. If somebody is looking for a professional preparer, what, I mean, what should they be looking for in somebody to do that? And uh, also when they show up, what, what do they need to bring with them in terms of documentation? Well, I'm, I'm a little biased towards, towards CPAs or, or EAs because uh, there are a, a number of uh, tax preparers out there and, and many of them, most of them, I would say, do a, a, a fine job. Uh, I guess, again, it depends on the complexity as well as uh, how much you're willing to pay. Uh, basically, if you go to a, an H&R Block, you're probably looking at a, a two to $300 tax bill, whereas uh, many professionals 
charge that by the hour. <laughs> so uh, it, it, you know, uh, it can potentially be a much higher charge going to a CPA or an EA, but they also have that level of skill. Uh, certainly at a bare minimum, when you go to a new preparer, you want to bring a copy of last year's tax return, preferably two or even three years, because uh, there's always the possibility that within three years you can amend a return in case there are some errors that occurred before. What general tips do you have for someone who's doing their own taxes? Well, I think when I've talked to people that have done their own taxes, uh, a lot of them will say, well, uh, the computer said it was right. Uh, and uh, I think we also, or I had found that in my prior life as as with staff, that as if I input it and the computer's magic and it's got to be right because I input it. And uh, that's not the case always. Uh, there's There's transposition errors. There's situations where you didn't fill in something correctly. So I always highly encourage people to, there's a, there's a print preview button uh, on these tax preparer softwares and hit the print preview and take a look at the forms. And if something looks out of line as far as a big refund or a big amount due, or you're looking and say, what is a $4,000 credit for that? It's worth taking a peek at it and not just assuming that the tax software, uh, it, it's kind of like a GPS. Uh, you know, GPS is, is great until you lose your signal. And, uh, then you got to kind of rely on your own common sense. And, uh, I think sometimes people feel with the software that it's, it's, it's a, a magic tax prep and it's, it's not. What are some of the biggest mistakes that people make when they do their own taxes? You mentioned things like transposing numbers. Um, are there any other common ones? Well, I think a big one, uh, especially this time of year, is that people may file before they have all their information in. So uh, technically, employers are supposed to have their W-2s to their employees by January 31st, and also people that pay self-employment or contractors are technically supposed to have 1099s to them by the end of the month. Many times it does not occur. Sometimes they're late, delayed, especially when people have done self-contracting. Those sometimes don't come out until a little later in February. Uh, Is it Are they supposed to? No, they're supposed to be by the end of January. Um, And brokerage houses. So if people have anything with a Merrill Lynch or a a Smith Barney or a a, a, a Charles Schwab, uh, those statements technically are not due out anymore until uh, February 15th. So people may have uh, items out there that, if they file too soon, uh, they're going to have to amend. And amending is not a, an easy process. You basically have to redo your return. And, and I guess I would also say what people don't tend to do is when they're preparing their current return, look at last year's return. Uh, because there may be some things that last year, all of a sudden it's like, geez, I forgot about that. 
mm-hmm. or the same thing would be again this year. I mean, we all think that, oh, I'll, I'll remember that. And then you look back and you're like, oh, I forgot about that. I wonder if I have that this year. One of the biggest fears, and it may be just something that's kind of been trumped up in different media or whatever, but, you know, there's this big, um, I don't know if stigma is the right word, but this this terror people have of getting that letter from mm-hmm. the, the IRS saying you're being audited. Um, what advice do you have for those who do get one of those uh, one of those letters. Well, I, I do know that that uh, terror is 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 prevalent because uh, my wife, uh, who's been married to a CPA for well over thirty years, uh, if we get anything in the mail from the IRS, it's it's always opened and saying, "What is this?" And like, "Oh, we're fine." But uh, nobody likes getting anything from the IRS, and the worst thing someone can do is not open it. I can't tell you when I was practicing how many times I would uh, have a meeting with a client and they would come in with four or five unopened letters from the IRS. And unless it is a, and unless you are an employer that has been late on payroll withholdings, the IRS is usually pretty lenient on allowing later payments. Yeah, they may charge some interest, but as long as you communicate back to them, they're usually willing to work with you. They don't like when you don't communicate back to them because they see that as, as we all do, that, oh, they don't care or they're trying to skirt around it. So the biggest advice is open it up, <laughs> take several deep breaths, uh, look at the year that they are auditing. If you have a copy, Try to compare what the IRS is saying versus what your copy says. And if you uh, don't have, uh, or if you do have questions, you can call the IRS. And if you call the IRS, make sure that you write down who you spoke to and their badge number, or you can seek out advice. But the, the two biggest things is, one, just hoping it'll go away because it normally doesn't. Okay. Um, this year, or, sorry, this time of year, we also hear about a lot of scams going on. People who will get calls or emails claiming to be from the IRS and saying, you know, over the phone, they'll ask for a social security number to access the account. Um, what are the key differences between legitimate communication from the IRS and a scam, some a phishing attempt? Well, it's the IRS scams as well as uh, State Department of Revenue scams. And uh, the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, will never initiate a call with you. It'll only be through a fact, not a fax, or a letter Uh, will be how they've communicated with you. So it's important that when you move that your tax returns reflect your most current address, but they will never email you or call you prior to them sending a letter. Uh, And if you receive an email, there is uh, the IRS on their website says that you can address, you can forward the email and certainly don't 
open on any clicks, but to, uh, uh, let me see, I wrote it down here, but phishing, I think it's phishingirs.com, phishing, like P-F-I-S-H-I-N-G-I-R-S.com that you can send notices to. In most cases, you will not have received it. And if you call, uh, you can just call the 1-800-IRS number to see if it's a legitimate purpose. Now, it potentially, if it is, it would be something where you didn't answer a prior notice and they're just reaching out. But uh, if, if you've been opening your mail and keeping your mail addressed currently, they will never call or email you. It'll be a letter first. What should people do if, if they believe they or, say, for instance, some older people that I know who you know, would have been taken in by uh, this sort of thing? What should people do when somebody's been victimized by something like this? Well, uh, you would think that a CPA wouldn't get victimized by this, but uh, I have been uh, had my identity uh, filed. <laughs> uh, and uh, basically you have to go through, it's a, it's a little bit of a arduous process, but you have to get a special PIN, PIN number, to file your taxes for, for two years. And you actually end up filing them paper copies uh, for those two years. So there, you do need to contact the IRS if you have been a, a victim of identity theft. Okay. And there's, there's provisions and forms that you need to file. The tax reform law that was passed in 2018 brought many changes as people did uh, their taxes last year. Uh, can you highlight what some of those key changes were? Well, it's, it's interesting to look back and kind of see the evolution of the, actually it was the 17 Act that was effective in 18. But initially, it was an attempt to drastically reduce big corporation taxes. And when I say big corporation, it would be those big, what we call C corporations, that basically file their own taxes. And the reduction for them was going from a, a max rate of 35% down to a max flat rate of 21%. So that is a huge, huge reduction in corporate taxes. So at the same time, they also reduced the uh, tax rate for uh, mostly uh, upper, uh, upper filers, but to a certain extent, lower filers. And they also uh, changed, many of us used to, what's called itemized deductions. And you would itemize deductions if you had home mortgage interest and charitable contributions and medical deductions. And for many people that uh, had unreimbursed employee business expenses like mileage, they would tend to itemize. Well, the new tax act basically doubled what is called the standard deduction. So you take or you deduct the greater of your standard deduction or itemized deductions. So now that they've doubled that, many fewer people are needing to itemize. So in some sense, for a lot of people, it is easier to file now because you don't have to go through the, the Schedule A itemized deductions because 
your standard deduction uh, basically exceeds that. So for instance, married filing jointly, uh, basically if the standard deduction for married filing jointly now for people 65 and under is $24,400. In the past, that used to just be 12. So it was essentially doubled, and they then, if they don't have itemized deductions over 24400 which a lot of people do not, unless they own a very large house with mortgage interest, uh, they can avoid having to get together all their charitable receipts and uh, things of that and go with the standard deduction. Now, having said that, uh, certainly in any year where you've had a significant amount of medical uh, situations that has caused out-of-pocket costs, or if you have had large charitable contributions or a large home mortgage interest, then itemizing still might be better. But it has basically much fewer people are itemizing now because of this doubled standard deduction. Now, the, the one thing I like to tell my students is that the big kind of gaffe in taxes is what one hand giveth, the other taketh away. So under the new tax act, they also took away personal exemptions. So people that used to, or people that had many children used to get $4,000 a deduction per child. Well, that's gone. Uh, and, or it's gone until supposedly 2025 where all these supposed tax changes sunset and go away. Um, I guess another, uh, big change has been to small business owners, uh, because, because of the enormous C corp rate cut from 35 to 21, all the other business types, small businesses kind of, I think said, Hey, uh, what about us? <laughs> and they came up with an extremely, extremely complex new deduction for, I'll call them non-service, non-financial service type businesses uh, to take a 20% deduction of their income to kind of equalize the rates. But it, it is truly one of the more complex things. Another, uh, I guess some people would call it a benefit, uh, well, they would call it a benefit, is that the penalty for not having health insurance has been eliminated. So that uh, in the past, uh, if you did not have health insurance, there would be a penalty. And it last year, or for 2018 was the, the last year of it, it could get into the several hundred dollars sometimes. So that is no longer part of the tax law. Is there anything that's new this year and the past year, or is, is everything still operating off of uh, what had gone into effect last year? Uh, well, there is going to be some new changes for 2020 uh, for certain retirement benefits. Uh, some older people uh, often talk about having to take out uh, from their IRAs once they reach age 70 and a half. Well, that's now been pushed to age 72. Uh, also, as part of this tax act that's going to impact 2020, they restored some items that are called extenders. And extenders are ones that 
usually had a one-year life and that they would extend them every year. Well, they forgot to do that last year. And so uh, for 2018, many people did not take a couple of deductions that they can now go back and amend and take and that are alive again. So for instance, student loan interest. So interest on student loans. For 2018, many tax software said, uh, Congress usually extends this, but they didn't, so we're not gonna allow it. Some softwares did say, we think they're gonna do it, so we'll let you take it. But basically, student loan interest would be a big one, as well as uh, there is a credit uh, for uh, energy home improvements, such as storm windows and things like that, that, again, many tax softwares that people would do on their own, the TurboTax, the H&R Block, tax cut, my understanding is that they just said, it's not in the law, we're not gonna allow it. But it is now certain things that were not deductible or thought to be deductible, you can go back and amend for 2018. And I would say for the general person, it's mostly the student loan interest, which clearly is high for lots of people, and uh, uh, any home improvements that related to energy tax savings or energy savings. Where do you think we as a country are headed in general with tax reform? Well, uh, one of the quotes that I, I use in my, uh, my, my intro tax class is from uh, Chief Justice uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes. So this was a, a ways back. But uh, he basically said, our tax system is the price we pay for living in a civilized society. Uh, we live in a very complex society with lots of competing interests. And uh, uh, as much as people have talked about tax simplification, I mean, believe it or not, this last tax act was supposed to be tax simplification. And for many taxpayers, it is simplification. But for just as many, it was tax complexity on steroids, especially for the small business owner. So, uh, wow, crystal ball. Uh, I, I, I stopped using my crystal ball when uh, the uh, George Steinbrenner of the Yankees died. Uh, I had told many of my clients that there would be no way that they would get rid of the estate exemption even for one year. Uh, and they did in 2010, which happened to be year that George Steinbrenner died and was able to pass millions. So my tax crystal ball is uh, not one that I use too much. I would say there's going to be continued complexity. Um, it's just, it's, we live in a complex, I mean, you start looking at things that are hot in the tax area now, and it's the taxation of cryptocurrency. People don't, that's just a bizarre area that people really are having difficulty even, what is it? Uh, so I, I see the complexity still out there. Uh, I do think there's a good potential that they may start taxing health insurance provided by employees. I've seen it slowly get put on the W-2s throughout the year if people look at their W-2 and see a, a DD in box 12, 
that's the cost of your health insurance. And uh, I could potentially see that as a way that they might try to raise funds by saying, we're going to start treating your health insurance as taxable. But uh, it, it, it all depends on, on who's in the office. <laughs> so uh, I, the Democrats have certainly said if they would get in power that they would change many things to allow more deductions uh, within the itemized area. Uh, there was a severe cut in uh, state taxes um, and our highest state taxes, state income taxes and real estate taxes happen to be in the, the blue states. Uh, so I would think if there is a switch in uh, leadership, uh, especially in the Senate, that potentially we would see some more itemized deductions back. But again, my crystal ball is a little cracked. Yeah, I don't think anybody uh, is trying to forecast what the presidential election is going to do at this point. <laughs> so, um, Can you talk a little bit about what the Volunteer Income Tax Assistant Program is? I mentioned that kind of at the beginning, and I know we've had trained students involved with that in the last couple of years. Yes, this is our, our third year, uh, and uh, I'm proud to, to bring that as a, as a, as a class to, to Trine. And it is uh, basically AC 383, and then we have AC 483. And uh, students can get up to six credits, uh, three, one year, and then uh, if they do it again in the second year, they get another three credits. And the second year, it's a different class because uh, you get to do what I do, and which is review the returns that the preparers are done. And I think uh, what surprises people is that when they consider people low income, uh, they're considering them, if you make $56,000 or less, you are a low income person for the IRS VITA rules. So basically anybody that makes less than $56,000 is eligible to have their taxes prepared for free at a VITA center. Uh, so typically uh, we have been on Wednesdays during tax season from 3.30 to 6.30. The first three or four weeks, we basically go through a basic training so they can get uh, the VITA certifications that they need to prepare the tax returns. Then usually the last week in January or first week in February on Wednesdays from 3.30 to 6.30, we're at the Carnegie Library and we prepare uh, usually about 18 to 20 tax returns each day the students prepare them all, and then they also have to then go through a quality review, which uh, myself or this year, uh, it's Cougar Wallace. It's his second year. He's in AC 483. He's helping with the review as well. So it's a great hands-on, real-life experience for the students. And as much as we try to tell them about the, that you might see this, you might see this, you might see this. Every year is different. And I mean, yesterday we had somebody who brought in timber sales. We're like, okay, that's a new one. Or just there's lots of, lots of uh, complexity even in, in people moving. Or we've been struggling this year with people that 
live in Ohio but work in Indiana, and there's a new school district tax credit in Ohio that the software does not seem to be. So it uh, it's sometimes it's frustrating for them because they want to. They're used to getting things quick, and sometimes we find out that you got to call and you got to look. You got to dig into the instructions, and uh, but by and large, they're going to find that all the the clients are that we have the Vita clients are appreciative and thankful, and unfortunately, sometimes they have to wait <laughs> to. Uh, get the returns reviewed. It's usually the holdup is at, at my level. Uh, but uh, we think we give them a good service and they, they can electronically file with us and hopefully they're done. And um, most of them get a decent size refund. There are times that we have to <laughs> unfor- unfortunately tell them that uh, saying you owe something, which is usually at the state level. Okay. And you said AC. So these are accounting students who yes, do this course? Yes, these are accounting and, and uh, finance students that have taken uh, the introduction to tax class, which is a required finance class. So anybody who's taken, it's uh, AC, f- boy, 423. <laughs> well, once again, I'd like to thank Professor Jeff McGowan for joining me today for Faculty Focus. Be sure to check back at trineradio.com for new episodes as Trine faculty members talk about their research interests and the issues of today. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.